We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Work, family, friends, a million pressing social issues and an expectation to be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for an ice cold Coors Light, the beer that's made to chill. Listen, there's a lot going on in Green Bay right now, and I feel like we could all use a moment to chill with a Coors Light. See, Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Perfect for a moment to unwind. Coors Light is what I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in their all-new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Twenty minutes a day, three hundred sixty-five days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Pack-A-Day Podcast. You can get all your Pack-A-Day updates by following us on Twitter at Pack-A-Day Podcast. And remember to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform. And, of course, you can always check us out over at CheeseheadTV.com. I am Kyle Fellows, and I am joined, as always, by Andrew Mertig. And we are back for another Friday edition of the podcast. Yeah, it is great to be back. I feel like we've been gone forever. We were off last week, and that broke our 73 consecutive Friday streak. Uh, so we're back to start a new one today, right? And you switched up the intro, I noticed. You said podcast like five times in a row, Listen, so that was great. It's 2020, so, you know, I changed like three words just to keep things fresh, <laughs> you know. <laughs> that was great. I love it. I had no idea what was coming. But before we get started, we, we need to throw out a huge congratulations to Leroy Butler for being named a finalist for the Hall of Fame. And he is just a fantastic. It, he he had such a highly underrated career and, and really, in my opinion, super deserving. And it would be really cool to see Jerry Kramer and Butler go into the Hall in back-to-back years and, and sort of clear off those, like, Packers who who really need to be in the Hall of Fame all at once. 
Yeah, absolutely. Those are guys that fans have been waiting to see get into the hall for a while. And uh, checking Twitter yesterday in the middle of playoff season, expecting to see some of those topics being discussed. It was really a pretty fun surprise to see Butler listed as a finalist for the Hall of Fame. So good for him. Uh, But it is so good to be back after our time away. And for the first time in maybe ever, I am super excited that the Packers are not playing football this weekend because they are, in fact, enjoying that hard-earned first-round playoff bye. And so Andrew and I are here with a different kind of show this week. We're going to break down the five other NFC playoff teams for you guys because these are obviously the teams that stand in Green Bay's way to going to Miami and getting to that Super Bowl. And so we thought it would be worth both our time and yours to take a closer look at these five teams, especially because four of these teams have games this Sunday uh, that will have huge implications for who the Packers play next week in that divisional round of the playoffs. So uh, excited to get into this a little bit on the show. Yeah. Yeah. So why don't we start with the teams that are most, most likely to face um, the Packers and then we'll kind of move down the list as we go. Okay, so let's uh, start with the New Orleans Saints then. Um, This is a team, as Andrew said, that the Packers are most likely to face in the second round of the playoffs because it's as simple as this. If the Saints win on wildcard weekend, they're the Packers' opponent for that divisional round. And since the Vikings travel to New Orleans, it would seem at least on the surface like New Orleans should win that matchup. And if Green Bay gets to host this Saints team, they'll be hosting one of the most talented rosters in the league, in my opinion, as well as one of the best coach teams in the league. Not only do the Saints have Sean Payton, but if you remember, the Packers interviewed two coaches from the Saints staff during their coaching search last offseason in Pete Carmichael and Dan Campbell. So this is a very talented team and a very uh, it's a it's a great coach coach team as well and so you know that they'll have their team ready to go ready to play but for me what makes this Saints team so special is the elite trio of players that you have to account for when you face their offense they've got Michael Thomas and Michael Thomas is a pretty special player he led the league in receptions this year uh, by the biggest margin I think in decades he's at least in the conversation for offensive rookie He's not a rookie. Offensive player of the year. (laughs) And then you've got Alvin Kamara to deal with. Uh, Drew Brees is still performing at a really, really high level. And those three players are a lot for any defense to account for. And probably one of the scariest NFC offenses that you're going to be looking at in the playoffs. So I think they'll have the firepower to get past Minnesota in that first game. Um, But then because of their offense... I think it's even that much more important that Green Bay has that home field crowd noise in that upcoming divisional round if they're to face this offense. So, uh, Andrew, how are you feeling about the New Orleans Saints? Well, I'm going to focus a little bit more on the defense. And, you know, certainly Cameron Jordan is the first player you think of when you think of the New Orleans defense. Um, And then you, you have Marcus Davenport, who follows me on Twitter, by the way, just for the record. <laughs> Humble brag. Yeah, he has six sacks on the season, which is second most on the team, and he's on IR. You pointed that out to me before the show began. I just want to point out that people who follow you on Twitter end up on IR. That's just, like, how it goes. That's fine. But he (laughs) follows me on Twitter, 
FYI. Okay. But no one else has registered more than four and a half on their team. So if the O-line can keep Cam Jordan in check, they have a pretty good chance to give Aaron Rodgers time to throw. You, you have guys like Demario Davis and Von Bell. They're pretty good at playing the run. So the offensive line is going to have to get to the second level to give Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams a chance to get going. But to me, the most intriguing matchup in this game is going to be Devontae Adams against Marcus Lattimore. Lattimore is one of the best young cornerbacks in the league, but Devontae has been making plays against top corners for several years. And, you know, he continued that against Darius Slay. And, and honestly, Slay's probably a little bit ahead of Lattimore at this point. So, um, Really interesting, um, and uh, I, I'm 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 always interested in that matchup. Of course, you want to see Devonte shred Marcus Lattimore, but um, it it would be a really great matchup. And you mentioned their three-headed attack on offense, and and yeah, that's a great trio. But the Packers also have a pretty darn good big three, and so I don't necessarily think there's a massive advantage that that people perceive to be there. And this is especially true outside of the Superdome. Because the perception is the Saints haven't been very good on a slow track. And if you follow me on Twitter, you may have already seen my Drew Brees weather-related case study. But if you didn't, and by the way, you should, while you're listening to the show, if you're not following me on Twitter, let me share what my research showed. So by my count, Drew Brees has played three games in below freezing temperature since joining New Orleans. Three games, Kyle. Three. That's Just three. It. That's the whole case study. All right. I was expecting <laughs> this to take like hours. It did not. So in uh, December of 2010, so we're going back to the last decade, wow. uh, they played the Bengals. He went 24 to 29, passing for 313 yards, two touchdowns, one interception in a 32 degree weather game for a win. All right. But that was 10 years ago. I mean, that, that, that's a long time. Guys in their 30s aren't necessarily the same as guys in their 40s. Then that same month, so two weeks later, 2010, they played the Ravens. Breeze goes 29 of 46, 267 yards, three touchdowns, one pick. Pretty good performance. 23 degrees outside, but they lost. Okay, Um, so not a great completion percentage there, if you would have noticed, but the rest of the stats are fine. Then you move up to 2014. So now we're moving four years in advance or or four years into into the future. um, And they played the Eagles. Drew Brees goes 20 of 30 for 250 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions in a 21 degree game. Now, the Saints did win that matchup, um, but not a particularly impressive performance by Breeze. And he has not played in a game that has a temperature below 32 degrees since 2014. And that's incredible. But it makes a little bit of sense if you think about it. They're in a division. They, you have Atlanta, Tampa Bay, Carolina. But a lot of that has to just be luck in, in how their games are getting scheduled. And, and honestly, that big drought of them not being in the playoffs – also, none of those were really bitter cold games. We're talking about 21 degrees, 23 yeah. degrees. That's kind of average temperatures of Green Bay. It could be colder than that. And remember, Drew grew up in Texas, and he played in San Diego and then New Orleans. Granted, he played college football at Purdue, but that was a long time ago, and the college football games typically don't stretch into those bitter cold months. Anyways, so you'd think a Sunday night in January at Lambeau Field is going to be a pretty darn tough atmosphere for him to deal with. Yeah, that's really interesting. I was just looking at those numbers, like, as you're talking about it. Like, I mean, it's just remarkable. You're saying his entire career, he's never played a game in general under 21 degrees. Is that Well, this is 
I, I only looked up New Orleans. I didn't go back to. Oh, okay, Diego. sure, sure, sure. But even that, like, that's pretty remarkable. So we are talking about a player in Drew Brees who's had success in multiple levels. You know, as as far as uh, continues to be a successful quarterback in the NFL, who just really doesn't have a lot of experience in these cold weather games. So it'll be interesting to see how that factors in um, for sure when we get to that game. Yeah, and I would be remiss. Uh, normally, I would never, ever give a shout-out to my brother because, you know, we, we we like to hold things against <laughs> each other. But I do have to say, if the Packers play the Saints, I want everybody to pay attention to, number one, every time Drew Brees licks his hand. Okay? Gross. Stop <laughs> doing it. And number two, how he drinks water out of a water bottle. Like, it is inhuman he puts it through the side of his face mask and then squeezes it into the side of his mouth it's weird kyle i don't like it it's weird and my brother and i make fun of him (laughs) all the time that is the weirdest thing that you've ever brought to this podcast and i'm definitely going to be paying attention to that now when i watch your breeze so thank you for bringing that to my life um but The New Orleans Saints are no doubt a really good football team, but of all the teams that Green Bay could face, I do think that New Orleans, as a dome team, might be the most prone to be affected by this bitter cold uh, that they could face in Green Bay on the road. Uh, So we'll definitely be keeping tabs on that with Drew Brees, but the entire New Orleans team as well. Uh, But let's move on to the Philadelphia Eagles. It feels kind of weird to say this, uh, that there is a decent chance that the Eagles could be the matchup that the Packers play in the divisional round, uh, but they, you know, they're the winner of their division. They're the four seed. So if they were able to upset Seattle uh, this coming weekend, they could find their way to Green Bay in a matchup that would be kind of unexpected even weeks ago when we weren't sure we were talking about the Eagles as a playoff team. And I'm not about to tell you that the Eagles are a great football team. Uh, they're really beat up, they're injured, and they're sneaking into the playoffs in this super weak division that they play in. But the one thing that this team does have is postseason experience, not to mention finding ways to win when people have counted them out. This is a team that won their way to a Super Bowl with Nick Foles, right? Uh, teams don't win Super Bowls with backup quarterbacks. It just does not happen. I know you guys are going to come up with all the reason or the, all the times that this has happened. Um, Jeff Hosteller. <laughs> Andrew's going to start reeling off the names, uh, but it, it's just it's uncommon when a team loses their starting quarterback. You just kind of mail it in. You understand that that's not your year. But Doug Peterson and this Eagles team has shown that they can be that kind of sleeper team. There's a lot of reasons why we would say that Philly won't be the team to go to the Super Bowl this year or even win wild card weekend. Uh, But if they sneak past Seattle, there's talk that they could get Deshaun Jackson back for that divisional round. Uh, So no one is taking these Eagles seriously, and that might just be what they want and maybe just what they need uh, to advance in the playoffs. Yeah, and this is the Eagles team that handed the Packers their lone home loss this season. Granted, as you mentioned, they're currently decimated with injuries, but a lot of players are going to get right over the next couple of weeks, which could make them the threat that, that you spoke of. Green Bay certainly has struggled to stop tight ends all year, and the Eagles have two of the best in Zach Ertz, if he's healthy, and Dallas Goddard. Uh, Fletcher Cox is always a problem to stop up front, and the Eagles have always been able to generate pressure from the edges. And then, of course, there's Malcolm Jenkins, and he is always a threat to strike you with a 
big play on defense. So the Eagles certainly wouldn't be intimidated to play in Lambeau, but you'd have to think the Packers would be pretty heavily favored in that matchup. Yeah, so I mentioned that the Eagles have to beat the Seahawks to advance. So let's go ahead and talk about those Seahawks next, because what's so weird about this game against Philly is that, of course, the Seahawks have the better record at 11-5, and but they're going on the road against the Eagles because the Eagles are the division winners, of course. And so I really do think that this could be that kind of trap game for Seattle. Uh, But I think Russell Wilson and his playoff experience helps the Seahawks tremendously in this game. And Seattle is, they're kind of in a weird place right now. They've brought back Marshawn Lynch from the dead. Uh, They're probably without Dwayne Brown and there's, uh, who's their starting left tackle uh, for this weekend. And and one thing I think that will be really interesting to watch with Seattle is how their offensive line holds up throughout the playoffs in general. Because according to Pro Football Focus, they are one of the worst grading old lines in the league. And especially without Dwayne Brown, this could be a pretty big problem as they progress in the playoffs. They might get Brown back by the time that they would face a team like San Francisco and their fleet of pass rushers. But the Eagles, as vanilla as they may be kind of perceived to be, do have Brandon Graham and Fletcher Cox. And they can make life rough on even the best offensive linemen. So for me, the Seahawks are kind of a really hard team to figure out because they're a team with a lot of holes. But they have a quarterback whose mobility masks a lot of those holes right now. But this is also a team that has lost three of their last four games as we've ended the season. And so I think they might be one of the most interesting teams to watch to see what version of the Seattle Seahawks are we going to get as we get into the playoffs. Are we going to get the team that beat Minnesota and Philly and handed San Francisco a loss? Or are we going to get the Seahawks that lost to the Cardinals in Week 16? We just I really feel like we have no idea what we're going to see out of the Seattle Seahawks. Yeah, and you you have the Seahawks defense, which seems to be Bobby Wagner and Jadavion Clowney and a bunch of other guys, you know, young guys that haven't totally proven themselves yet, but they're they're finding a way to to make that work. And then on offense, it it's almost like a Mike McCarthy offense where they're just like, hey, Russ, run around for a while, make something happen. Uh, you we you don't have any healthy running backs. Your offensive line is dinged up. None of your receivers are really that. That proven outside of Tyler Lockett, but you know, just just run around until somebody gets open and 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 make a play. And somehow they've made it work. The you know the Seahawks have been really really good. Reel in a little bit, um, but for me, it'd be really fun to see Kevin King against DK Metcalf. That's a really interesting matchup. And Jair against Tyler Lockett. You know, yeah. Jake Hollister could be a problem, but I think the Packers' defense is a great matchup against Russell Wilson for this reason as opposed to the recent Packers uh, who were never a good matchup against him because their edge players generate pressure and, or, or, you know, it's how they generate pressure that's impressive now versus what it used to be. The Smiths are simply not going to give Wilson a chance to take advantage of them losing their rush lanes to step up in the pocket. And I could see that absolutely giving him fits because he's not used to that. And I think that's what the 49ers did so well um, to really limit what he was able to do last week. The Seahawks defense could certainly do the same thing to the Packers offense. Bobby Wagner is always a problem for Aaron Rodgers, but this defense has those big physical kind of slow cornerbacks. So I think Devontae would have a field day. The rest of the receivers might find themselves blanketed because they don't possess the speed or the route running 
to get open against those guys. So the tight ends would have to be a massive key in that matchup. And that just really hasn't turned out that great so far this season when it's been expected that the tight ends produce. Do you think that the Packers are going to be able to keep up with the Seahawks without Clay Matthews and his ability to get up the arc and uh, just completely blow contain on those rush lanes? <laughs> that's that's exactly what I was thinking of, you know, <laughs> and, and, you know, it's, it's not that, it's not that, you know, obviously Clay was a great Packer and he'll go in the Packers hall of fame and um, you know, what an important player early in his career for this team, really a, a gigantic credit, maybe, um, you know, besides Aaron Rodgers, the the single greatest reason why they won that Super Bowl. But <laughs> his inability to keep contained killed them against quarterbacks like Colin Kaepernick and Russell Wilson and anybody with any mobility or just the intelligence to to bait him into rushing outside and then slide him in the pocket. And I, I this is probably the 80th time I've mentioned it on the podcast, Kyle, but What's so impressive about Zadarius and Preston and even Rashawn Gary, and I, I'll give them all the credit in the world, Kyler Fackrell is doing this so well. They are staying in their rush lanes and still getting to the quarterback. Sometimes they're doing it with stunts and twists. Sometimes they're just being stronger than the, the offensive tackle, but they're using that that initial push and bench press to to start their pass rush move and it's so cool to see and teams just can't take advantage of that and that that's why I mean personally I'd love to see how that works against Lamar Jackson because he is the penultimate uh, uh, version of of whatever kind of quarterback you want to see but um yeah I I like what I, I like what they could potentially do against the Seahawks and speaking of oh go ahead well, I was just gonna say I, I didn't want to uh, take you know miss the opportunity to poke the bear and get you to talk about that. I knew I could get you there for sure, but I know that you I know that you said you had a another thing that you wanted to rant about when we got around to the San Francisco 49ers. Are you ready to move on uh, to the Niners, or you got more here? Yeah, uh, about the I Smith was brothers? about to make a very natural transition. Oh, I'm so sorry, <laughs> interrupted me. Now, can't. My bad. All right, but you give me the opportunity to vent, so I'm gonna vent now. The Packers were less than one yard through a series of just like atrocious decisions by the Seahawks and one terrible no call on a defensive pass interference away from that one seed and the potential of getting to host the 49ers. San Francisco is the most likely matchup if the Packers win their first playoff game. But now that the game will be on the road where, you know, of course, they got steamrolled already this season. I think putting San Fran on the road in Lambeau in January would have given Green Bay that great equalizer, but they didn't. And so now we have to focus on a potential game in Santa Clara. And so number one, I'm actually a little optimistic that if New Orleans wins, the 49ers have a matchup against the Seahawks, who, as mentioned, were less than a yard away from a series sweep of them, or the Eagles, who are actually a pretty good matchup against that 49ers team. And second, while, the, while Green Bay was certainly outmatched in that first uh, game this season, there has to be some expectation that they would perform better the second time around because Matt LaFleur has demonstrated improved game planning in the second matchup against both the Vikings and the Bears. The 49ers' defense may even be getting... A, a, well, okay, so... 
here's my caveat to what I'm about to say. D Ford is likely to come back. So that is going to improve this defense even more than they already have. But there have been some glaring weaknesses exposed against both the Saints and the Seahawks that I think potentially Matt LaFleur has got to be watching and saying, maybe we can do some of those things. Yeah, you know that they're definitely paying attention to as much tape as they can to find those weaknesses so that they can play them differently than they did the first time around because we all know exactly how that turned out. Uh, But San Francisco is the playoff team that makes me the most nervous. And I think for obvious reasons, they're extremely talented. And having home field advantage would make that much more of a challenging place, uh, I think, for the Packers to beat them than if they were at home. But I think the Packers played probably their worst game of the season against the 49ers. You could say that it was maybe the matchup with the Chargers uh, that was maybe their worst performance of the year. Uh, But I think that this is right up there with that. And I think that Green Bay would come back with some answers if the two teams were to meet again. And we have to remember that the defense is playing much better uh, than it was when they met for the first time. And we also have to remember that Green Bay was without Brian Balaga for much of that game and relying on Alex Light, which really did affect the offense uh, as it was able to perform uh, in that game. So I know that winning on the road against the 49ers will take the Packers' best football that they can muster, uh, but it's something that I think can be done, and I think that we will see a very different Packers team on both sides of the football if Green Bay were to get that rematch that they are hoping to get. Uh, But we have one more team to discuss, Andrew, and uh, that of course is the Minnesota Vikings. Yeah. So um, this is obviously the most unlikely opponent that the Packers would face. Um, But do you want to talk about how, how that situation could occur? Yeah. uh, The only situation in which green Bay uh, sees the Vikings in this playoff is, is, a scenario where Minnesota somehow beats New Orleans and then San Francisco in consecutive weeks because as the sixth seed, they'll always automatically play the highest seed that remains in the playoffs. And so Green Bay would only face Minnesota in the NFC Championship at Lambeau Field, which all seems unlikely as a scenario to play out. Uh, But this Vikings team is one that is dangerous and the defense wins championships. And there's a lot of talent on that Vikings defense. And if they're able to force a turnover or two, and if Dalvin Cook is back and running well, they could definitely surprise some people. Uh, But I still think that Kirk Cousins on the road in three consecutive hostile, highly pressurized environments is going to be a pretty tough path uh, for this Vikings team. Yeah, and obviously it's pretty unlikely, but if you go back a month ago, it seemed like every one of the top five NFC teams were on an even playing field, and that definitely included the Minnesota Vikings. So it's interesting how perception changes so quickly with with a healthy Delvin Cook, and if they can get their linebackers back and playing well, they're a really dangerous team. And remember, they basically rested everybody last week. I, I expect them to give New Orleans a run for their money on Sunday, but this would be a best-case scenario for Green Bay. First, they would have the NFC Championship at home. Second, they'd be playing a team that is super dependent on home field advantage, good conditions, and the speed afforded by turf. And the Packers beat them twice already. So a hot Vikings team would certainly be dangerous. And I'd probably feel sick to my stomach the whole week like I did before (laughs) the NFC Championship game against the Bears. Because seriously, I would never hear the end of it if they lost. Never. Um, 
you'd have to be scared of Delvin Cook and Stephon Diggs, and the defense is always dangerous, but the Packers just humiliated their offensive line. So I don't think there's too much to worry about, but the Saints better hope that game doesn't come down to one last Vikings possession this weekend, right? Yeah, I, I thought about that matchup and uh, what both teams have to be playing for in the history there. It's it's definitely going to be one that I would expect could be a little bit chippy. Both teams are going to want to bring uh, their A game and make sure that it doesn't come down to controversial calls at the end of the game, as we've seen in the past. Yeah, and a side note, the last time I went to a playoff game against the Vikings, we found out actually it, it, in the parking lot of the bar across the street, it's the way of... Of, of information started coming over everybody that Joe Webb was going to be the starting quarterback. We found out like like 45 minutes before kickoff. Um, and that game certainly turned out pretty well. So, yeah, Vikings uh, yeah, like, like at Lambeau in the playoffs. I, I'm not too worried about that. A um, couple other. Uh, so so those are the five playoff teams. And, and you know, we know a little bit more about it. The NFC is certainly loaded. And every game is going to be difficult, which is why that buy is so, so critical. Um, but a couple of newsworthy items. First of all, Raven Green returns and was designated to return off of injured reserve uh so any any thoughts about the return of raven green yeah i think it's really exciting and i think that uh matt lafleur was a little bit uh he was guarded in saying what role that raven green would be able to play for this team and uh, how involved that he could be uh he kind of gave a we'll see to you know the questions about that but i think the greatest thing that this does we, we saw how raven green impacted this team early on in the season how well he was playing that consistent uh, factor that he was bringing to that kind of hybrid linebacker role that he had i think he's a chess piece and i think especially with an extra week of preparation um, and some creativity, it wouldn't shock me if they felt like it was an opportunity to put a little bit different personnel out on the field uh, to cause some unpredictability and maybe some different blitz schemes and those kinds of things. And we've seen how the Packers have struggled to cover tight ends. And you're going to be potentially looking at players like uh, Zach Ertz. You know, if the if the Eagles were to win, uh, you're going to be looking at, um, you know, obviously San Francisco has a very talented uh, group of multiple tight ends that, that factor in. Uh, those You're thinking of, of George Kittle. Thank you. <laughs> you had to call me out. I couldn't remember the tight end's name, man, like on the hey. podcast. Happens to me all the time. You bail me out of a few situations. You're 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 thinking of George Kittle. Uh, yeah, no, I am thinking of George Kittle. He's a great, great player and the one that the Packers would hopefully have to deal with in an NFC Championship game scenario. So, uh, someone like Raven Green definitely gives them a piece to deal with those players in a way that they have not been able to uh, in the recent past. So, uh, I'm hoping he can be that chess piece. But w- what are your thoughts, Andrew? Are you excited to get uh, Mr. Raven Green back? I'm so cautiously optimistic. And and if, you know, you and I did the podcast the the night of the season opener against the Bears, and I thought other than J.K. Scott, Raven Green was the MVP of that game. He was phenomenal. And I think one of the main differences and why this defense went through such a struggle um, for those eight weeks where they just didn't seem like they they had it going was because they lost Raven Green and and suddenly they had to fill in that other linebacker role and BJ Goodson isn't quite good enough on pass downs and I don't I mean Ibrahim Campbell wasn't ready yet and Raven Green's a better version of Campbell now 
is Raven Green 100%? We have no idea. Is he going to, you know, be really rusty coming back in on very little practice time? Um, I don't know, but uh, that excites me. Most teams, yeah. most teams that go on those long runs and most teams that win the Super Bowl, there's one or two guys who come out of absolutely nowhere to make a massive, massive impact. James Starks was the guy in 2010. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, that team was like band-aids all across the board. So there were a lot of versions of that. But like you, you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. Raven Green has a chance to be that guy in this stretch run um, if he's right yeah. and if yeah. he's ready to go. And so, yeah, I'm... I'm amped about that. I, I think that that could be a massive, massive uh, return. And they've got, you know, Ibrahim Campbell has been playing that role, you know, pretty well for them as needed. But they've also got like Chandon Sullivan and, you know, they've used uh, Josh Jackson in some creative ways, you know, um, and those kinds of things. I don't know how much he's going to get on the field. But I think just any time you can not know exactly what you're looking at, uh, if you're an offensive team coming in and, and not knowing what the matchup's going to be, I just really think that that's going to give them an, an opportunity with an extra week of preparation uh, to put him in positions to, to succeed and help this team. So hopefully he can be that kind of an impact player uh, that we saw against the Bears, as you were saying. But um, any other news you want to discuss at the end of the podcast here, Andrew? I mean, not really. One, one of the things that I've been thinking about a lot is, you know, there's there's sort of all the passive aggressive digs at Aaron Rodgers and how he's not having that good of a season. And, you know, there was the poll that came out that he was the number 11 quarterback in the playoffs and sort of silly stuff. But you know, when it when I'm thinking about it, the, if if the Packers are going to win three more games this season, it's going to take a couple of special efforts, and and I think one of those probably is going to be by the defense, where they just have to overtake a, a game completely and win it for the team. Um, and I think Aaron Rodgers is going to have to win at least one game. You know, yeah. of course, nobody wins a game by themselves, but he's going to have to have one of those throwback Aaron Rodgers performances in order for them to beat a team like, let's say, San Francisco. He, he's just going to have to be not not necessarily perfect, but he's going to have to be towards the upper end of his talent level. And as frustrating as that Detroit game was. How locked in was he in the second half? I yeah. mean, like he had that look in his eye, like, oh man, we need to win this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and every throw went from like way off um, to like pretty good. He yeah. missed some throws in the second half. Don't get me wrong. But like when it was time to make a key third or fourth down pass, it mm -hmm. was there. And yeah. so he's going to have to have a whole game like that for, yeah. for them to win against some of these teams especially in the NFC. And if, you, if you've seen any of the interviews that he's done this week, he just kind of has that pissed off look in his eye. And obviously he's having to answer a lot of questions about the missed throws and stuff that I'm sure eating at him and those kinds of things. But I feel like anytime, you know, we're talking about ranking Aaron Rodgers number 11 out of 12 players, you know, 
at his position, which is just absolutely crazy when you think about, uh, you know, he's a Hall of Fame player and those kinds of things. I, I just feel like betting against Aaron Rodgers heading into the playoffs when he knows that his, his, his back is up against the wall. This is potentially, you know, he's got a couple of years left in his career, and this is maybe one of the best opportunities he's had in a long time uh, going in, having a first-round buy. I just feel like betting against Aaron Rodgers is a dangerous thing to do. And I know that's coming from a Packers fan that's obviously hoping for his success. Uh, But I think we may just see uh, some of those plays that we saw in the end of the second uh, half this last week uh, that will propel this team to where they need to be. But I want to ask you really quickly here. um, We're talking about six. We talked about five teams on this podcast today. Uh, we're talking about other quarterbacks. We're talking about Aaron Rodgers being cr- uh, criticized for maybe not being the player that he's been in the past. We're talking about Drew Brees. We're talking about Russell Wilson. And we're talking about Aaron Rodgers, who have been in the playoffs. They've won a lot of playoff games. I think combined, they've won something like 25 playoff games combined. But then we're also talking about players like Jimmy Rapolo. We're talking about Kirk Cousins, and we're talking about Carson Wentz, who I believe have combined for a total of one, maybe two, <laughs> playoff starts, right? Not even wins. So, Andrew, do you think that, that there's anything to – obviously, quarterback wins is not a stat, right? But is there anything to this experience? Because I think Jimmy Garoppolo, you know, is the 49ers are probably one of the most favorite teams to win. Um, is there anything to a quarterback going into the playoffs um, and not having that experience? Well, absolutely. I mean, how you handle yourself. Just, I mean, think about any work situation when the pressure is at its highest. You, you see the people who can handle it rise to the occasion and the people who don't crumble. And I, I think the same can can be said of, of any player in, in those situations. It's just that your quarterback has the ball in his hands on every single snap. And I think the thing that you see in common with, uh, you know, Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady and, and guys who have a lot of experience, they're not going to make the mistake that breaks their team's back. Kirk Cousins, Jimmy Garoppolo, uh, even Carson Wentz, to an extent, they are prone to making mistakes, even in not so high pressure situations. And so that's what you get worried about with younger, less experienced quarterbacks. Um, Russell Wilson's had some rough playoff games, too. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the Packers NFC Championship is a great example. He threw four picks in that game. Yeah. Um, it It's. You know, it, and if the, the Packers hadn't crumbled, I think, you know, a lot of fingers would have been pointed at him. But so, yeah, I mean, there, there's something to it. Aaron Rodgers is not going to make the mistake that kills his team. Um, but he also might struggle to make some of those plays being in this new offense and, and still learning the ropes a little bit. So um, I, I think there's definitely something to it. That's why you see, you know, the most experienced quarterbacks have the the longest playoff runs right Brady Manning uh Aaron Rodgers uh you know the list goes on and on yeah so I I guess my point is we can say Aaron Rodgers is at the bottom of the list of the quarterbacks maybe as far as performance goes this year uh you can make that case if you want but man I guess I'm going to take the guy who's been there before knows what it takes um, and, and just has that experience, especially when we're talking about elevating guys like Jimmy Garoppolo and even Kirk Cousins, you know, and, and putting them into a list of, of guys that we'd, we'd have above Aaron Rodgers. I think that that's foolish at this point. And I, I think I'm going to take off an Aaron Rodgers uh, who's been criticized 
and has kind of his back against the wall entering the playoffs uh, this time around. I, I think I think I feel pretty good about that. Absolutely, and this is just getting me like super amped for next week. <laughs> like I just I just need it to be next week already. Um, do you want to do like a 144 hour consecutive podcast to pass the time? Yeah, let's ask people if they would listen to that. Yeah, they wouldn't. So uh, <laughs> that's all the time we, we have for today. Um, this has been the Packer Day Podcast. You can find Kyle on Twitter at Packer underscore Pundit. And you can find me at Andrew Mertig. Remember to also follow at Packer Day Podcast. Please subscribe and rate us if you like what we're doing. On tomorrow's episode, we're going to get a preview of Saturday's playoff games. Playoffs! You, <laughs> you can catch Kyle and myself every single Friday. We're going to be back next Friday with a preview of the Packers' first playoff matchup against, insert team here. Thanks for listening, and as always, remember... Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.